What's going on? This is Evan Stewart, founder of Obsessed Academy and the Obsessed Conference. And if you want to learn how to level up and be successful through masterminds, then you absolutely should listen to my good friend, Brandon Straza, with his podcast, The Mastermind Effect. You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to The Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey, everyone. Today, we've got the founder of Obsessed Academy and Obsessed Conference, Evan Stewart. He helps others build a life they can be obsessed about through his private events, hosting thousands of world changers at the Obsessed Conference. We get into his wartime CEO mentality. Evan then shares his thoughts on the age of fake influencers, and he explains his replacements mentality that will help you make an immediate impact on your life. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. You know I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, to help us do that, we have got the founder of Obsessed Academy and Obsessed Conference, Evan Stewart. Evan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Glad we could make this work. So I can't wait to dig into it. Absolutely. And when I talk about experiences, this is diving a little bit into the conference that you've got coming in. You surround yourself with people with experiences from Ben Humble, Rocky Garza, Matt Monero, Judge Graham, Tim Story, and I know it's your, your spouse, but also surround yourself with Brittany Stewart. So you are constantly learning from other people's experiences. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're exactly right. One of the best people you can learn from is a person that you share life with because just because they're in your home doesn't mean that their perspective can't benefit you. But I'm a big believer in, oh, well, I mean, that's kind of why you're doing the show too, right? I mean, you get so much value in having great discussions. Your listeners get amazing value from the discussions that you have together. But you know, the, once we know that everything has been done, has been invented and has been created, all we have to do is find those that have done it and then, and then reverse engineer it. I mean, I wish it was more complicated than that. So you're, you're exactly right. It, it's important to me. Absolutely. And I always want to start out with when someone realizes the value that you're bringing today and the value that you bring through the academy and the conference, how can they find you? If they want to reach out to you personally, where's the best social platform for them to find Evan and connect? Absolutely. So you can hit me on Instagram at real Evan Stewart. I'm pretty active on Instagram, actually. So that would be the best, the best place. Honestly, I'm on across social. You can hit us obsessedacademy.com, obsessedconference.com. But if you want to start a conversation, my DMs are open and it's at real Evan Stewart. So just slide in, hit me up and I'm happy to be available. Yeah, no, I appreciate you letting the listeners know about that. So let's just dive into it. The availability to have access to different people has changed over the last five, 10 years, in my opinion. When we were younger, we learned uh, from textbooks and teachers. And then that eventually became our friends and our coworkers. But it was like just a sliver of what was really possible out there. Mm -hmm. How yeah. has your learning changed from your early years versus today? Well, there are some things that have changed and there are some things that have been consistent. I think fundamentally things can change in regards to where we get our knowledge from, but that doesn't mean that the pursuit of the knowledge is actually shifted. And what I mean by that is mentors 
for example, have always been a really important part of my life. But the difference is, is that through the use of technology, we have an opportunity to learn from silent mentors. And silent mentorship are just people that you don't have relationships with. So that's maybe your listeners, they're listening to the show. They say, man, I, I, I'm learning from Brandon. I have people that I feel blessed to call me a mentor that I've never met with just because of the content that you produce. You know, you can connect with pretty much anybody that you want to through their content and learn from them and rack their brain or whatever it is you want to call it without actually meeting them. And so that's one thing that's actually been a constant. But ever since I was young, I've always had a relentless pursuit just to know more and a curiosity that has really never been quenched. I believe it's so important to be curious, not just in trying to learn about something very educational in school. And you have to know why things work. You have to know how money moves. You have to know some basics. But also, one thing that has really helped me is when I'm curious about something, I feed into it, even if it's something completely arbitrary. So like, I was curious about wanting to cook better. So I bought the Gordon Ramsay masterclass and I wanted to learn a lot about cooking. It has nothing to do with my business. It's not going to make me any money. I'm not opening a food truck. I'm not a chef. But I think when you work that muscle, what's really shifted for me is kind of embracing this side of leaning into things that aren't profession or I'm going to learn how to make more money or close more deals. Because when you feed the curiosity in other areas of your life, you begin to open your mind to the point to where you're excited and fascinated and motivated and inspired to dive back into things that fulfill your work. And so for me, technology has been a great use of that. You know, I'm a a 90s kid, right? So I grew up before, I, I wasn't born with a phone in my hands, but I really, the world that we live in today, it's so exciting to embrace and lean into shifts. I mean, frankly, Brandon, we're doing this over Zoom because we can't meet in person right now because of COVID. I mean, this wouldn't be possible even a decade ago. And that's really, really exciting for me. Yeah. That, that shift and how quickly it moves from A to B and, and, and kind of diving back into what you said, you talked about mentorship. And if you ever want to take a look back, anyone that's listening, episode nine talks about mentorship and the importance of finding those mentors. Mentors have mentors at the end of the day. For sure. I love hearing that you believe the importance of having that. It's critically important to one's success and future on there. So mm-hmm. let's move on and, and, and talk about, you know, who we're learning from. We can take a ton of information in right now. Like you said, over the last 10 years, Zoom wasn't available and Facebook wasn't what it was today, not, let alone Google. So we can take in all this information. And, you know, some people, they learn from mentors, like you said, others learn from accountability buddies, masterminds, coaches, whomever that is. Who are you currently learning from? And more importantly, how did you find them? That's a good question. I I have a couple of different people that I'm learning from. In fact, one of my most prominent mentors right now is actually a gentleman you mentioned that's that's coming to my conference, Tim Story. And we've had a chance to build an amazing relationship. And I've got a couple other people that uh, I learned from as well that I'll I'll, I'll, uh, keep those relationships quiet. But at the end of the day, one thing that I believe is that there's five areas that make a whole person. You have a personal, financial, spiritual relational and professional. And the reason why I state that is because oftentimes we look for one person to be the solution to all areas when in reality we can have multiple different perspectives. I've got a great spiritual mentor in my life who I wouldn't take advice from financially because financially my goals are not aligned with his. But spiritually we have amazing and deep conversations. I have vice versa. I've got amazing financial mentors who don't have the same spiritual goals that I have. So the mentorship ends and just becomes friendship outside of that one financial picture. And so I think it's so important to find multiple different perspectives and take each one with a grain of salt and consider its applicability. Because I heard a saying, there's a, an individual who I shall not name, who was talking about uh, the importance of learning from one person. 
And he had said, well, you know, what you have to do is you have to find one person and go deep. Well, wouldn't you know that this individual happened to be selling opportunities to learn from him? So in reality, you know, if there's somebody in your life who's telling you to learn from one person, chances are that person is probably selling you an opportunity to learn from them. And what I've found is these different perspectives that people have in different industries and different cultures and different ways, it can be immediately applicable to you. In fact, Brandon, when I was in real estate, this is how I really started growing that business to prominence was I stopped working in the echo chamber of how to grow as a real estate agent. And I decided I was going to commit to growing a business that happened to be in the real estate industry, two very different perspectives. And what I did was I started learning, what are they doing in technology? What are they doing in Silicon Valley? How does Steve Jobs really run on the inside and interviewing people that were assistants with him and reaching out? And I started applying these different perspectives to my work. And that's what shifted because all of a sudden I'm no longer working in the echo chamber. I'm pulling, hey, what's working here financially? What's working here in, in technology? And how do we pull those together? And so the first step is, I believe, finding those different perspectives and then you putting those down, kind of laying it out and then being the uh, assimilation of those different identities and perspectives that you take into your world. To answer your second question, how do you get to those people? Man, I wish I had a really awesome kind of sexy answer for you, Brandon. My answer is just ask. Two ways to get to high quality people, pay for it or ask. And don't pretend to be something you're not. Hey, you know what, Brandon, I, I, I see what you've done here, here, and here. Um, I'm just getting started. I, I don't have a lot to offer, but honestly, I, it would mean the world if I could ask you a question, you know, something like that to where you can be authentic. But the other thing is if you get a little bit of bread in your account, most of these people have an opportunity to be coached by them or mentored or something. There's no shame in slapping down a decent amount of cash to make your way to an individual. Some of the highest quality relationships in my life have been because I know we deeply align and I need to make my way to them. So I'll slap down 10 grand to get to their coaching program. We get coached, we build a relationship through that. And then now the friendship further extends that one transaction. So if you're listening to this, you know, trying to figure out how to get to those people after identifying them, see if there's an opportunity to engage. You know, one of the best ways you can say, hey, Brandon, I support you is like, let me show you I support you by engaging with you and your product, or your service. And then through that, we can build a relationship. Yeah, it's it's amazing what you're saying there. I'm get, I'm getting goosebumps, and and the, here's the reason: we've almost recorded 40 episodes, and the common thing that keeps coming back is number one: have multiple mentors, have people that align with you. Ask, just ask, and you're you're amazed what you'll get back in the response. People are more available today than they've ever been because of what's going on out there. And then yes, the other one is: hey, listen, sometimes you're going to have to pay to play. But the price of entry can take you to the front of the line and it's worth it. So everything you said there, every successful person that we've been talking with and continue to has that same mentality. Well, there's a narrative, Brandon, that it's wrong to, you know, oh, you shouldn't buy your friends and stuff like that. And I get what you're saying, which is if you only like me because I'm throwing cash your way, well, we have a problem. That's not a real relationship. But what happens is, is that this infects the mentality that I can't use the resources that I've earned to get close to the people who are important to me. Here's the thing. Reverse the conversation. If you're listening to this and there's someone who wants to make their way to you, you've got two people, one person that slid into your DMs and asked, one person that wired $10,000 into your account and says, I'm going to fly down to your hometown. I want 30 minutes with you. Which one do you think is more committed and are you going to pay more attention to? That's what I'm saying. Like, so next time you slide into their DMs, if you have the means, wire five grand to the individual, take a flight. Yo, Brandon, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods next week. I just slid that amount. Would that be worth it for me to take you to lunch and talk to you for half an hour? And so what I'm saying is, is that 
you have to use what people pay attention to to demand their attention. And so if you're trying to get the attention of someone, stop just waving your flags and start really getting down into the meat of what does this individual pay attention to and how can I demand their attention by bringing value to that? So many people, you've seen it, right? Oh, how can I bring value to you? How can I serve you? Well, if you want to bring value, then be valuable. That's it. And by being valuable, you bring value to the things that I pay attention to so I recognize there's worth. So I listen as the person that's maybe hard to get to. And, and the thing is, is that it's so simple. People, I think, overlook it, right? Yeah. And you, I can say, if we ended the interview right now, which we're not going to, you've already brought a, a world of knowledge right there and how you explain to gain access to people and what's the reason and what's the value. And yeah, you know what? You and I, we've paid for our friends from time to time, but I'm still talking with them. I still have a great working personal relationship with all these people that mm-hmm. I've been able to surround myself as, as of you. So let's go on to the next one, but that's, for sure. I, I love what you were just saying there. So a lot of people get stuck. They kind of get stuck in their head, stuck in the bushes. And, you know, we've recently, or we're still going through what, you know, the pandemic, I feel it's causing a reset and allowing us to find out ways to accomplish things that we didn't think were possibly before. How have masterminds or coaches and mentorship helped you when you're looking to, to reset yourself in how you do things? Going back to different parts of what makes you a person, where I've had the most help has not been in my work. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for me, one of my strengths is I'm really good at building businesses and building structures. That's the way my mind works. So I have had mentors in business and whatnot, but I have a wartime CEO mentality. When the pandemic hit, man, we shifted hard and we made it work. And and uh, we've been blessed to well, still, knock on wood, see through very in a very healthy way, in a very profitable way, see through this, this experience. But for me, what really helped was mentorship that stirred the creative side of me. Mentorship that stirred, stirred the, the side where I can write and I can think and I can pray and I can create content and I can work on, on music and some of these other areas, which a lot of professionals and a lot of the rhythm right now in the professional world is, oh, well, if you, if you do anything other than work, then you don't want it bad enough. Listen, that's not true. I remember when I was dead broke and I remember when I was in the top 1% of professionals in my state and when I was running an eight-figure book of business. And the interesting thing is when I had money, I was so poor that the only thing I had was cash because I was at the, the whim and the demands of my environment and I didn't have control. And the reason why I think that's important, especially now, is because the interesting thing about COVID is now people are really tired. Not because of the bombardment of the news and all of this, but there's no longer significant breaks and divides between work and life. So we now have this trudge through life. My commute is now 15 steps instead of 15 minutes. I have my children working on their school. I'm working in here. Wife is on conference calls. Everything's going crazy. And we no longer have these breaks and these rhythms in our day. And so the reason why I think that it's time to stir that creative side is because escapism is important. Human beings need escapism, but it needs to be escaping into something that still moves the needle in your life and brings you inspiration, fascination, and motivation. And so for me, what I found in in this piece and this mentorship and kind of moving that needle forward has been getting in environments and around people and engaging in dialogues that stir parts of my life that aren't forced to be in motion because of, of COVID. I don't need business mentorship right now. We're profitable and, and we're moving forward, but I don't need it because the vast majority of my time is in business. But you know what I would love more than anything and what I crave is to have really deep intellectual conversations and stir the creativity with great, inspiring people. Like that's what I need right now. And so I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking of a mentor that can help you get through this season, 
be thinking, do you actually need money or what do you need an opportunity to think and a little bit of space and headspace to move because you feel tight, you know, those types of things. And for me, that's what I needed, but, uh, that's what's really helped this year. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a different perspective in what they need, you know, and, and how those steps, how those 15 steps to get to where they're going might look different for you than it does for me to anyone else out there and how you get there. But through mentorship, it makes it a lot more possible to help get over that. So masterminds in itself have been around for a long time, from the apostles to Benjamin Franklin, when he called it the Leather Apron Club. And then eventually this guy by the name of Napoleon Hill, you know, he talked a little bit more, wrote a book a long oh, time ago. Guy. Yeah. yeah, almost a hundred <laughs> years ago, wrote this book, almost. So as there, as I feel there's been such a large boom when it comes to self-education, moving away from traditional education over the last few years, where do you see it really going? Well, I see two things. And we talked about this a little bit before. Masterminds are important because like we talk, talked on at the very beginning of this, everything that you need to learn and know has already been done or thought by somebody else. That's it. And so it's just a matter of how willing are you to get yourself in environments where those other people are actually speaking and are you willing to walk in before your ego does and allow yourself to be quiet and listen. And, when, and listening is not just watching you. It's, it's recognizing that when you speak, my intention is not to be thinking of a reply, but to be interpreting what you say. And so as far as really to dive into your question in regards to um, self-education, I think that we've had this wave where we've had a pretty prosperous global economy, actually, but especially here in the United States. Um, and we talked about this. We had kind of the age of the fake influencer where you could fool, you had just enough to access the life, but not enough to sustain it. And you f- would fool people. You know, you have the, uh, what is it? The 30,000 millionaire, right? Uh, that type of thing. And, and uh, my, you know, I'm from Texas, right? So we're Southern. So it's, we would say it's a champagne taste on a beer budget, right? Because we have all these fun little Texas sayings, but at the end of the day, what I think is going to shift is now two things. A, people are going to start demanding your world in a virtual environment, not your content on someone's platform. Now, this is key. I think we're probably five years away from this really being significant. But what I see more than anything is if I want you, Brandon, I want your world, your technology, your content, your vision, your this or that. Because right now we have so many different rebrands, right? You remember when Gary... Vaynerchuk came out on his videos and he would say something for 10 seconds as the hook and then the logo would come up and do the and then come down and then well how many different influence have, influencers have you seen do that exact same animation the same sound effects see I think what's happening is is that we as consumers are getting tired of repurposed and repackaged environments content and information and so I think there's going to be a giant demand as self-education continues to be more important even in the traditional education environment as you get more online and more you know by the beat of your own drum I think what's going to happen is, is that the consumers are going to deeply demand authenticity, verifiability in your content and in your work. And then you, your own environment, your own platform, not you diving into Kajabi, but what makes you truly different other than the content. And then a verifiable content. Like that's something we're doing, Brandon, with our, our courses. We, we're building out a deep case study side. Like you can go back learn from the business owners, have their information, see immediately and verifiably how we've been able to work. So that way you can go back and verify you have no concerns about, does this really work? And I think people need that, but they're going to really start demanding it in the masses, I believe, in the foreseeable future. So if you're listening to this and you're in a space where you're either creating online education or you're engaging with it, either A, start demanding it or B, start providing it. 
depending on what lane you're in, because that I think is going to be so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I mean, we're building a platform based around that same mentality, that same theory of making sure that you can verify it and make sure that it's a trustworthy source. That's right. And at the same time, you as a creator should want to provide that. If you have to remember the last lie you told, you shouldn't be in business. So, you know, kind of going back into what people would expect. Typically when someone invests in their future, they have a better than vague idea of what they're going to get out of it. We're able to have some form of expectation. And, and typically the rooms that you put together, you, you kind of curate them. You know those types of people that are coming into your world. So what should someone expect when they enter Evan's reality? A couple of different things. And that's a really interesting question, actually. I've never been asked that. So got me thinking there for a second. But a couple of different things. My reality is built in a few key areas. Uh, I'm deeply relational, relational over transactional. I have a belief that a transaction is a byproduct of a vested relationship, not the goal of the relationship. And I do what I do now because I wanted to, not because I had to. Like, rather, life was good. We're making money. We had to turn in business. I had all the recognition. But what happens is, is I believe that what you can make money doing isn't necessarily what you've been called to do. And what I noticed is that there were areas of my life that I would continue to, to wake up drained and come home even more unfulfilled because I was earning money, but I wasn't pouring in the way that I need to pour back into people. And I believe that my strength truly is identifying kind of who you are, what that means, why it matters, and then back how it's applicable back to your work. And in my work, I was doing one thing, which was earning, but I wasn't doing anything else, which is impacting. And that was a problem for me. So because of that, I made the decision to shift and shift my life and lean into a life that fully gives back. Now, the reason I say that is not to do my own horn, but that has given me an immense superpower, which is everything I do, I do because I want to, how I want to, not because I have to. And so we're able to curate these environments to be unbelievably intentional. I'll give you a little peek behind the scenes here of, of how deep we're intentional. So you mentioned the Obsessed Conference. We, we do the, the conference, big event. It's really exciting. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but we're doing something that Walt Disney did in a smaller way. So Walt Disney, when he opened Disney World, or I guess Disneyland when it first opened, but essentially the idea was uh, to create your experience like the opening of a movie. So if you think about it, you park, you walk in, the first thing that happens is you, you start to smell. You smell the popcorn, you smell the candy apples, just like when you're walking into the movie theater. You start to get engaged in the experience. You move a little bit further, what's the next thing? You hear. So you hear the coasters, you hear the engagement, you hear all of the excitement and the energy, and it starts to build. And then what happens? You move around the walls. All the entrances, the entrances to the park are like this. They have something usually blocking your vision, and then you go around, and then it's right there, just like the opening of a movie. And so even then, like with the conference, we are, even the entrances, you walk in, and the first thing is you hear, and you see, and we've got all this, and then literally... Our room is, is blacked out. We've got lights, uh, the lights to where it literally blinds you, moving from a light environment into a dark environment. So your eyes adjust, and immediately the first thing you see is our massive stage. You know, that type of thing, just creating this environment with such deep intention. And we can spend a god-awful amount of money doing those things because we don't have to worry about the profitability on the back end because we're creating with intention. And so I think, Brandon, to answer your question, highly curated, highly relational, highly value-driven. You know, I mentioned my time in real estate. I don't care how many times somebody hits your mailbox. The agent you're going to call is the agent that has signs that say sold in your neighborhood. That's it. So if you're in the business of transforming lives, then the only data you need is transformed lives. And if you play the long game, dude, I can make a lot more money if I didn't run the conference the way I did. I could. I can make a lot more money. But I don't care about right now, about 1,000 people. I care about 10 years from now at 30,000 people. 
Because if we can build these armies of advocates, what does that look like in a decade? And I'm still young. I'm not 30 yet. I got time to, I got time to wait and, and I'm patient. I think when you're, you know, when your intention is the end result of the bottom line, you're going at it from the wrong perspective. And what you're saying there is like, listen, I've been fortunate to build these companies. And so if I'm, I don't need to worry about that bottom line, it'll come. The money will come. If, if you live with purpose, you design with purpose and intention, it just happens. It's a byproduct mm-hmm. of what you've curated. And when that conference hits next year in 2021 of April, I'm looking forward to seeing those lights and smelling that popcorn and having that experience. Absolutely. And seeing Absolutely. what it looks like. So let's keep going on on this. And you know, I feel that people have a way of surprising us from time to time, you know, whether it's their willingness to learn, their drive, whatever it is, you know, has anyone that has been through the Obsessed Academy or the Obsessed Conference, how have they surprised you? And and what was the outcome of them being in that room with you? It's been so, such a blessing to see some of the results that we've been able to help curate. Building businesses, not, it's really not complicated. It's unbelievably difficult, but it's, simple disciplines. Here's how we talk with people. Here's how we build relationships. Here's how you master objections. Here's how you manage culture. Here's how you do core values. Here's how you fire without being an asshole, things like that. And for me, we've had some amazing case studies of people that were, are uh, making, you know, 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars. And now they're making half a million or maybe they're making the same amount of money, but now it's residual. And, and so Honestly, an opportunity to be, play a, a role in transforming someone's legacy is the most, I can, it's the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done. Now, I don't have children yet, so I can't stay it, up to this date. Maybe in the future, things will shift. But right now, it's been really, really cool because the average company we work with, right? We work with small, mid-market, and enterprise-level corporations, but especially with our online platform and with that kind of entry level, the average individual that we work with is usually a self-employed individual that is tired of running the rat race. They're typically earning somewhere between forty-five dollars and $65,000, and they're stuck. And just to, to help people move out of self-employment into true business ownership, this may piss off some of your listeners, self-employment is not business ownership. It's not. It's you being employee of yourself. Because if you walk away from your business and it doesn't still run, it's not a business, it's a job. That's it. There's nothing wrong with that. We just have to call it for what it is. But many people, they get into a work because they want to build a business. And so, I mean, we've seen amazing case studies. Somebody who went from three years earning very, 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 very little, just a thousand or two dollars a month to earning six figures, a hundred and something thousand dollars. Um, I was talking to an individual who in one year, almost just two deals shy of quadrupling his business. Someone who texted me a picture, his business grew 843 percent in 13 months, you know, things like that to, to know that you play a role in that it's unbelievably fulfilling because people just want to grow. Right. I mean, that's, that's the goal is just to continue to grow, to give our children a better life or, or even our, ourselves or our spouse, a better life than we had when we were younger. Yeah. Create that opportunity that maybe we did or didn't have, but make sure that they earn it as they're getting there, you know, from a, from our children's perspective. And then just to, to see that those people that have, have surrounded themselves with you, just to see that, you know, 40, 50, 60,000, a lot of people are like, oh, I only work with six figure entrepreneurs, which is a whole nother story in itself using the word entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. I get them, you know, upwards. You're like, hey, I work with people from here to here to here because it's about that connection that you have with them. I mean, we've got, 
I've got nine figure businesses that we work with. Like, buddy, if you're, if you run a big company and you want to continue going, like, let's go. I know there's leaks in your sales department and your systems. You know, those are the three areas we focus on revenue relationships and structures, building vested relationships, driving consistent increases in revenue and building structures that don't break at scale. But the problem is, is that the vast majority of America is not the nine figure company. In fact, it's not even the seven figure company. If you really want to get into it, the vast majority of America is usually an individual or a small group of people really trying to make it work. Um, I had a friend growing up that owned a very large uh, company. And one of her sayings was when you sell to, or she was, I guess, maybe even a, a little bit of a mentor, but when you sell to the masses, you live with the classes. I love an opportunity that we can work with really, really high level businesses. In real estate, I loved brokering multi eight figure deals. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of the, the people that really need help is usually those that are trying to transition from running in the wheel and I, I got to find a way out. And uh, it's just been a blessing to be a part of that life. It, it really has. Yeah, absolutely. So true. Really is. And, and who is, you know, what is a small business at the end of the day? There's a pretty wide definition. And I think that definition is going to be getting smaller and smaller on what a small business is going forward. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. I was working with my coach recently and we're talking about what it takes to be, what create, what, how do you create success? And, and, you know, Mm. we talk about mentorship, like you and I spoke about experimentation, partnership, willingness to fail. Hmm. And then what we rounded back with is our willingness to succeed with the sensitivity of social media. um, As you and I were discussing, I think people are actually afraid to talk about their successes. What do you feel it takes for someone to get over the hump of actually being successful? Well, I think it's two things. It's A, you have to define what success means to you. And I, I, gosh, I, that was such a canned guru answer, but it's, it's so true because I know some individuals that are very successful in many areas of their life and they make you know $60,000 a year. And then I know some individuals that make so much money. And I think it's you have to define the parameters of, of what you want. So how I do that is I look at what I call an ideal versus reality list. Again, those five areas, personal, financial, spiritual, relational, professional, and then go down. Ideally, how do I want my spiritual life, my time with myself, my time with God? Ideally, how do I want my financial life? How you earn your money and what you earn are both very important qualifiers. I want to go down my relationships, my time with my spouse, my time with my friends, my time with my family. And I go down these five areas and I say, this is my ideal. Like This is how I want to be living. And then I go to the reality. Where am I at? And I see where there's misalignment. And then I Right there is okay. So, if you want to be earning a million dollars a year, but you're earning a hundred thousand, you need to do two things you need to be taking steps towards increasing your revenue, which there's a deep rabbit hole there, but in broad brush strokes, taking steps, and then how you earn that revenue too. So, part of my goal is I want to earn a minimum of 85% of my revenue completely residually as a company to where residual revenues increases. That's why we're leaning into our technology because monthly subscriptions are amazing when you have thousands of people buying a product. So, that type of thing. And so, in relation to success, that's the first thing, but then behind it is the intention. Something interesting that I noticed, Brandon, I've worked with some people. In fact, I have some relationships with some individuals that are worth multi, multi nine figures. And a couple of them, one of them has even broken a billion dollars. And I say that not to be braggadocious, but because you, you see something very interesting at the top. A lot of people can win. You know, earning a million dollars a year is kind of like earning $150,000 at a higher level. It, it, it's good, but it's actually pretty obtainable. A lot of people can hit that. But I'm talking about those that are really winning, like almost untouchable, like the highest level. And one thing I noticed is they have all the toys, they have all the trinkets, but they don't flaunt it. And so to me, those that flaunt their toys 
their cars, their houses, they're usually earning less than you think they are. Because typically, people that flaunt, and you know there's a difference between being proud of something, hey, I love this car, I love this watch, this is something I've worked towards, and flaunting it, like, oh, you could do this too. Typically, those individuals, what that flaunting is really covering up a scarcity. It's covering up an insecurity. It's covering up the, oh, well, maybe I didn't come from much and now I have a decent amount and I'm so deeply insecure that I'm going to lose it all that I have to show you what I have is kind of this insulation so you know that I'm significant because my self-worth is grounded in people's perceptions of my reality instead of who I was created to be. And so in defining that success, I think the second component of that is there's nothing wrong with showing it but it's the intention behind showing it. I say this oftentimes, I'm not a car guy. The car that I just, I have one car, mainly because A, we don't, with my traveling and speaking, transportation's provided. And, uh, and But the car that I, I had for the longest time was a 2011 Hyundai Genesis. Like the thing had 50, 156,000 miles on it. I'm not a car guy. Yeah, I might, you know, get a Porsche or something crazy. The next car I'm going to buy is going to be a Jeep so I can take it into the middle of nowhere and go exploring. Like it's my version of success isn't defined by someone else's perception. What I define as success is earning enough money to never have to question an expenditure. If someone's ill, not having to question that. I don't need you to see me with a Lamborghini for you to think that I'm successful. Just like I don't need to be introduced based on my past experiences for people to think that I'm relevant, things like that. And, and once you can lean into that definition of success, you lose all the anxiety and the stresses of trying to keep up this image for people that just frankly don't care. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking it in everything that you're saying there and it, it's what's important to you and, and what you value and the people you surround yourselves with. And yeah, you and I, uh, many things were alike, but the car is one of them. So that's, that's definitely there. So as we get closer to the end here, I've got a few more questions for you. Sure. Sure. I believe that there's always new ideas brewing during prosperity. Okay. But I really think innovation and ingenuity comes out of times when we feel the squeeze right now is a perfect, perfect time for that. So yes, what are you working on right now? That's going to happen over the next 12 months that excites you. A couple of things. 2021 after COVID, I have a North American tour. I've got a software project for Obsessed Academy as we build our own platform, a different way to experience virtual events. So building out an entire virtual studio stage, light board, the whole thing. I think for us, the innovation was because a lot of what we do is, I mean, we have live experiences, but we work a lot with companies. We travel a lot. I mean, I travel, I used to before COVID, we would travel a lot. And so our big question that we were trying to overcome was, A, how do we craft an environment where the minute that you hit what we do through the end of your experience is completely within our world? We haven't accomplished that yet, but we will have that accomplished by mid of next year by building out our own software and technology and proprietary information in addition to our content. We've already accomplished that from a live setting. If you come into my conference, like you're in my world now, it's cool. But but it's a little harder to do that when you're distracted, you're in your own home, that type of thing. So that's where the technology comes in. But the second component that really drove our innovation was we dug deep into our data to see basically how do we create such a deep level of connection with our with our clients, professionally speaking, that we become an invaluable component and, and we don't have to be a questionable expense when they fall into hard times. And so that innovation has really led us to dive back into the data of what's working, what's not, what do people like, what do people don't. We have an astronomically low churn rate to begin with. Churn are people who were with you and now they're not on a monthly subscription. But it's been really diving deep into that data. We called every single person in our database, our, our, our team, when things really got bad. Hey, we're here for you. This is what we're doing. What else do you need us? What else do you need to see from us to become an invaluable component during this time of crisis? And you know what, Brandon? We got some great data. 
So what do you think our next couple of rollouts were? Exactly what the consumer told us they needed to see to no longer question our value. So for us, part of that innovation has just been creating systems that allow us to keep our finger deep into the pulse of our, of our community in times where a lot of people are becoming more physically physically distant. You know, we, how do we remain socially present? That type of thing. You met the people on the playing field that they told you. You didn't question it. You listened to them and you gave them what they asked. Like that's it. How simple is that that so many people miss that? Well, it's like it's like new Coke, right? Coca-Cola executives said, Oh, the world needs new Coke. No, they don't. They love the original, right? The original flavor of Coca-Cola has been around since the friggin' dawn of time. And so the problem that a lot of businesses think is because I'm the one that's in control, I know what everyone needs. Now there's a difference between being a visionary and saying, My community has not told me they need us to develop our own software. They love what we have. But you know what? By the time we get it, Henry Ford, right? If I asked the people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. So I can kind of see that. But at the end of the day, everything that you need to know to actually grow and develop will be told to you by your community. Whether it's interpretive, I hear them saying this, but I know what they really need is this, or it's actual. I need this. So for us, just said, Brandon, what do you need? And now out of the hundreds of people that we're working with, 60% of them said they really needed clarity and here, here, and here. So that's where we brought clarity. It's, it's just like I said, I wish it was more simple because I could sell some amazing course on how to read a customer's mind or more complicated, I mean, but it's not. It's the reality of it. So yeah, it's, it was huge. It was a great shift for us. Simplicity creates success at the end of the day. So what is one tip, tactic, or actionable item that if someone hearing you now in the next 30, 60, 90 days, if they implemented that, would actually see a direct result? Well, you can see a direct result immediately. One thing that's powerfully changed my life. Again, it's simple. So if you're listening to this, the good thing is you can flip it off and immediately take action. It is a concept I call replacements. So when I started shifting my life and getting into, you know, motivational speaking and kind of the entry entry drug to personal development, I don't know who said it, but I heard a quote that was if you lived every day the same as you did today, what kind of future would that create? So I looked at my life. If I live every day, five areas personal, financial, spiritual, relational, professional. If I live every day in those five areas the exact same way, did the exact same things, had the same conversations, what kind of future would that create in those five areas? And so what I, what I started doing is what a concept I call replacements, which is everything needs to move the needle forward. I'm going to take the thing that doesn't and replace it with the thing that does. I'm going to get rid of Netflix. And I'm going to replace it with Masterclass. I'm going to get rid of time where I'm just you know, screwing around and not doing anything. And, and I'm going to replace it with intentional time with friends, intentional time with family, inten- you know, and I just started plucking the things that weren't good. And I started placing it with the things that were, I'm really hungry. I'm going to go get crappy food. Well, then I started, okay, well now I'm going to force myself to eat something really good. And then I'll get the crappy food ah, after. Well, tell you what, I'm not hungry after I eat, right? So it's just these replacements, replacements, replacements. And when you do that across all areas of your life, what happens is every moment starts to have deep intention. You asked a little while ago, what does my world look like? Intention. Every moment has deep intention and purpose and direction. Because if you lived every day the same as you did that one day, Archelaus, the famous philosopher, said that we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level. His words were training. My words are habits in your environment. So what happens is our little daily habits are actually creating that future. And if we start to replace then we start to build daily habits that lean us into an environment that moves the needle forward for us. So the days that you're tired, man, I just, I'm exhausted. I just want to do this. What happens is, is you've created a rhythm in your life that carries you from moments of inspiration to moments of inspiration. Cause that middle is where people fall. Anyone can be inspired and motivated, 
but the long obedience in the middle is where people typically fall off. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So that would be my recommendation for something you can take immediately and, and start to really shift the direction of your life. Uh, we couldn't have left it off with a, with a better actionable item that someone, if they, if they actually sit there and they look at those five areas and maybe for someone else, it's three areas or four areas, whatever it is, but, and start replacing, we're looking to actually get out of it. So we've got Evan Stewart, the founder of Obsessed Academy and Obsessed Conference with us today. Evan, I can't thank you enough for what you've instilled on us and your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. I've loved it. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing The Mastermind Effect.